This morning we're reading from Revelation 15. We'll be looking at Revelation 15 and 16. So let me read. This is the Word of God. Give your attention to the reading of His Word. Revelation chapter 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels, with the seven plagues clothed in pure, bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Would you please be seated and would you join me in a word of prayer? Father in heaven, we ask this morning as we look at your word that your spirit would be at work giving to your people eyes to see and ears to hear what the spirit says to the churches. That you, our Lord and our God, would take complex pictures and make them simple to us that we might understand, that we might see more of you, more of our need for you, and more of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, our Father, for showing yourself to us. We thank you for your love, and we ask this morning that we would revel in your mercy and your grace as we read about these seven bowls of wrath that will one day be poured out. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we ask all of this. Amen. As we prepare to look at chapter 15 and 16, let me give you the one-minute version of the refresher of where we are and what we're talking about in the book of Revelation Here's how it goes from the beginning. I have told you this book is an apocalyptic, prophetic book. That is, it is a vision given by the Lord Jesus Christ to the Apostle John in which he makes very clear from the start that this is a book of pictures that will signify actual real truths or realities. The pictures begin after the introduction in the first three chapters with the most important picture that sets the frame for the rest of the book or sets the foundation. That is, in chapter 4, 
we see the throne room of God, and on the throne is seated the King of the universe, God the Father. Now, there's a lot going on in chapter 4 in that vision, but most importantly, John says, I saw in the right hand of him who seated on the throne, I saw a scroll. And I told you the scroll in the hand of God the Father in Revelation 4 is a depiction of the unfolding of the rest of history. There in the scroll, this is the history, okay? As God has ordered it, everything that will come to pass, and it includes the redemption of sons and daughters of the king, but there's much more in that scroll, okay? This is all of history. The rest of the book of Revelation then is not a linear unfolding of history from one event to the other, but it's different perspectives or angles of the same event, okay? So everything that happens in Revelation is a new perspective on what the rest of history will look like. So the seals that were broken, that's a perspective on history. The trumpets that are blown, we get a new perspective on history. The woman and the beast in chapter 12, it's a new perspective on the history, on the scroll. This morning we come to the bowls of wrath in chapter 15, okay? So this is a new perspective, a new angle on the scroll, which is the history of humanity in the right hand of God the Father being accessed by Jesus Christ the Son that is now being unfolded for John and the seven churches. Chapter 15, you read the words, are about the bowls of wrath. This is the wrath of God as it will be poured out in the course of history. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What does that mean for us? Now here's uh, the paradigm. It's a helpful paradigm, I think, for us to look at this passage through. And next week, the same paradigm. The book of Revelation has given us two groups of people, and I'm just going to put them on two opposite sides of the page. If you like to draw, you can do this throughout the service. Okay, this group of people, uh, this is the people of the beast. All right, we introduced them last week. We've talked about them through the entire book. Again, if your hands are busy and you want to draw, you can draw lots of stick figures over here. There are lots of people in the book of Revelation who have received the sign of the beast. You can keep going the whole service if you want, okay? The book of Revelation has described them in many different ways. They are described as Babylon the prostitute. They're described as the people of the earth. They're described as the armies of Satan in, Je- in Revelation 13 and 14. Okay? Various different ways, but they've been depicted throughout this book. You remember the last chapter? They're the ones who receive the sign of the beast on their foreheads and on their hands. They are compared to the people of the Lamb. Okay, the people of the Lamb, we'll put them over here for now. The people of the Lamb. And again, if your hands are busy, you can draw all service long. A whole group of people over there, okay? They're the people of the Lamb. Revelation has described them as the 144,000, as the great multitude, as the bride of Christ, as the saints who sing the songs of God, who worship Him. Uh, They've been described in various different ways in the book of Revelation. The question we we ask this morning is, as the wrath of God is revealed in Revelation 15 and 16, how does it affect these two groups of people? Okay? Now, let me give you a little insight into where we're going. Next week, we're going to look at chapters 17 and 18. In chapters 17 and 18, God says in both of those chapters, my people, He says, come out of Babylon. And so He says, He commands us with this movement away from them. Come out from among them. Have nothing to do with them. Okay? And we'll talk about what that looks like next week. This morning, I think as we read uh, chapter 15 and 16, you'll see that there is one way in which God is commanding us 
to move towards them. All right? Part of the purpose of revealing God's wrath to His people is that we would see with a sense of urgency that we are to move towards those people, the people of the beast, with an important message. Okay? And we'll, we'll talk about that this morning. As I was getting ready for this sermon the last two weeks, I kept thinking of this story, an event that happened to me. I think it, it provides good imagery for understanding the two chapters this morning, and I'll share it with you just briefly. A handful of years ago, I was the director of the southeast region of the Eastern Collegiate Volleyball Association. Sounds more prestigious than it is, not really prestigious at all. I had to make sure that the men's college volleyball events that happened in Florida and Georgia and South Carolina and Alabama, that they happened efficiently and effectively, okay? So I'd fly down there a few times a year, and I'd make sure that these volleyball events, that they ran uh, up to par, okay? One particular year, I got to know the men from the University of Florida, their men's volleyball team, and they're a good group of guys. And so we built this relationship, and we had many good conversations, and, and they were, not only were they good men, but they were really good at volleyball. And so I, I enjoyed my time with them. It was a great year. That year, we went to the national championships in Kansas City, and I was coaching the men's club volleyball team at Liberty, uh, but when I was not coaching the, the men from Liberty, I would sneak away to watch the men from the University of Florida. They were just excellent volleyball players. Well, I was watching this game, and there was about 2,000 people there watching this game, and the game was unfolding, and everything was going to plan, and then this, the, the guy, his name was Zach, he's the, the captain of the team, the inspirational leader. Zach goes up to attack a ball at the net, the net, and he comes down, and he lands on his feet, nobody around him, but it's a freak accident, okay? And his ankle dislocated from his, the rest of his leg, and a, the lower leg compound fracture, and it was a horrific, gory scene on the court. Just totally disgusting, okay? And at that moment, everyone around, around him, kind of with a loud shriek, they all ran away from him. The, the, the guys on his team, the guys on the other team, all the fans, everybody just kind of like ran away. Like the, the seas were parted and they just, they were out of there. They were gone. And at that at moment for me as I was watching, my heart, you know, I'm, I'm as uh, scared of blood as the next person, but... My heart was moved with, with compassion for him, and so I ran out on the court, and I got behind him, and I covered his leg so he wouldn't see it, and I said, Zach, I'm here, and I, I put my arms around him and just held him tight. Zach, I'm here, right, and it's going to be okay. And as I was thinking about this passage this morning, I believe that's the type of movement that God is cultivating in our hearts, okay? It's, it's a movement that recognizes a group of people who are under the wrath and condemnation of God and is moved in our hearts with compassion and kindness to go towards them, not away from them, to go towards them with the message of salvation and good news, okay? I think that's what God is doing in, Re in Revelation 15 and 16. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. I hope by the end of the morning you will get that sense as well. But first, before we get there, we have to understand a few things about the wrath of God. So first of all, You'll see this on the insert in the bulletin. The passage this morning, the bowls of wrath, begins in the throne room of God. You'll see it there beginning in verse 1. I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. Now, if you haven't noticed in the book of Revelation, we have been moving from the earth to heaven and from heaven to the earth, and there's this movement back and forth. And every time we're in heaven, we see things as they are according to God's righteous standards, and then we go to the earth and we see how it plays out on the earth. And then we go back to heaven. 
And every time we go back to heaven, we're brought back to the throne of God, and every important movement of the book of Revelation begins at the throne of God. And in case you wonder, how, how do we know we're, we're at the throne of God here? It says we're in heaven, but look at all of the indicators in the passage. Verse 2 says, I saw a sea of glass. Remember the sea of glass was there in chapter 4. The sea of glass is an Old Testament prophetic picture of the ceiling of this world and of the floor of heaven. Okay, so there's the sea of glass. But if, if that's not enough, you get to verse 5, and verse 5 says that a door was opened into the tabernacle of, of the meeting place, right? That is the Old Testament uh, predecessor of the temple. So here we are in the heavenly temple. The next verse after verse 5 says there are, were the four living creatures, okay? Four living creatures, you remember them from Revelation 4 as well. They're the cherubim and the seraphim. They wait on the living God day and night. They carry out His most holy and perfect will. They're always there at the throne of God. Here we are. We're at the throne of God. And as I told you just a moment ago, every important movement of Revelation begins at the throne of God, doesn't it? Think about Revelation 4. We're in the throne, and then comes the breaking of the seals. Revelation chapter 8. We go to heaven, we see the throne of God, and then there's the blowing of the trumpets, okay? Revelation chapter 12, we're in heaven and we see the throne of God, and then there's the woman, and there's the serpent, and the unfolding of that vision. And we get to Revelation 15, okay? Every important movement of the book of Revelation begins at the throne of God. What does it say to us? It tells us that as, as we're looking at the unfolding of history from a heavenly perspective, everything originates, it begins in, it finds its causation in the throne of God, which is His holy and righteous providence and omnipotence over all creation. John Frame, as he was speaking about this passage, he says, I, I realize as I read this that every terrible and awful thing that happens in creation is even under the providence and authority of the living God. And that's the depiction that we get as we pan the camera to the throne of God, and then the events unfold, and then we go back to the throne, and then the events unfold, and they all originate at the throne of God. And so here we see the throne of God again. What's the second thing we see as we're looking at this passage about the bowls of wrath of God? We see, I think, a little bit of patient restraint on the part of God, and that's, I think, necessary to speak about when we talk about the bowls of wrath, you will see in verse 7, as the scene unfolds in verse 7, it says, one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And if we were to take the book of Revelation and to lift it out of its context and to only read this, we might say, wow, God has filled up seven bowls of wrath to pour out on the earth. Sounds terrible. Why, where's the patience and the long-suffering that we, we would expect to see in the living God? But the, the problem is, Revelation comes in the context of the whole history of God's revelation to humanity, and this is not the first time we've seen the bowls of wrath. They appear all over the Old Testament Scriptures, and I will tell you, as you read the Old Testament, you will find that like 90% of every mention of the cup of wrath or the bowl of wrath of God is a mention of God's patient restraining of the bowl of wrath. Think about these images. Genesis 16, I think, would probably be the first mention of what I believe is the bowl of wrath. Genesis 16, God goes and He finds Abraham and He says, Abraham, 
I'm going to make you a people. And I'm going to make you a land. And Abraham's like, great, take me to that land. And God says, whoa, 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 wait. It's it's going to be for like your future generations. Generations and generations from now, I will give them the land of Canaan. And then in Genesis 16, God says, why? Why will he wait to give the land of Canaan to his people? He says, I will wait until the iniquity of the Amorites has been filled up. Okay? I will wait until the iniquity of the Amorites has been filled up. The image is that, that God is waiting patiently as their iniquity is filling this cup of wrath and one day it will be filled up. 400 years after that. 400 years after that, God would give Abraham's descendants the land and they would enter into Canaan and enact God's judgment on the people of Canaan. Okay? A portrait of God's patient waiting. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 11. God says in Jeremiah 6, 11, I am patiently with great suffering holding back the cup of my wrath. Okay? Jeremiah 6, 11. Patiently with great suffering holding back the cup of my wrath. Right? Here's the, here's the image. I thought as I was getting ready for the sermon, I wrote on the top of my nose, I said, go find a, a cup or a chalice as a visual illustration. And I think, oh, we're having a baptism. Here it is, of course, okay? Somebody this past week told me, um, okay, just be careful. If you're going to use the picture of the baptism bowl for the picture of God's wrath, you might want to make sure you don't offend the parents of the child who just been baptized, okay? So um, here's the distinction. Same image, all right, but we're two different substances. This bowl this morning filled with water as a picture of the blood of Christ, okay, the cleansing blood of Christ. The picture in Scripture is of a cup or a bowl much like this, and the Old Testament imagery is that the cup is being filled up, but it's not yet full. So so God says, uh, uh, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So God says, I patiently wait with suffering holding back the cup of my wrath. That's the Old Testament image, that this, the, the liquid is the wrath of God and it's being filled up, but he's holding it back with patient restraint. And so the Old Testament imagery is the language of, of uh, uh, potentiality, okay? The cup is being filled up, but it's not being poured out. It's not being poured out. God is restraining himself. He will not yet pour out that wrath. And he's waiting thousands of years to ultimately and perfectly pour out his wrath, Okay? But the, the picture, we have to remember, when we find the bowls of wrath this morning in Revelation 15, it's not as if they just kind of appeared on the scene. The imagery is all over the Scriptures, and it is of a God who patiently waits. Now, just as a kind of allusion to the things we're going to talk about, what is He waiting on? The Bible makes clear that God is waiting on the filling up of His cup, and, and He's waiting on the people of the beast coming to fill up the people of the Lamb. So these people are being transferred from this kingdom to this kingdom, and He's waiting till this group of people is filled completely before He will pour out His wrath on all creation. And so He patiently waits for the coming of the sons and daughters to become the people of the Lamb. Until that point, He doesn't finally and perfectly pour out his bowls of wrath. The third thing that we see in this passage as we talk about the bowls of wrath is that this is a full or complete pouring out. It is a full or complete pouring out of the bowls of wrath. Now, we didn't read chapter 16, but if you have your Bibles and you can just peek ahead, look at the first few verses of chapter 16. 
Chapter 16, after these bowls of wrath are given to the angels, chapter 16, then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl onto the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And the rest of the chapter will go on looking at the seven bowls of God's wrath that are being poured out. But let me tell you something, okay? As you think about the bowls of wrath, you may or may not recognize the fact that the bowls of wrath seem to be very similar to the trumpets that were blown in chapter 8. As a matter of fact, if you put up the bowls of wrath and you put up the trumpets, you will say, man, these things look almost identical. And they are almost identical. Think about this. The first trumpet is blown. And the first trumpet is a plague that comes on the earth. And the first bowl of wrath is poured out. And it's a plague that comes on the earth. The second trumpet is a plague for the oceans. And the second uh, bowl of wrath here is a plague for the oceans. And the third trumpet is a plague for the fresh water. And the third bowl is a plague for the fresh water. And the fourth for the air. So on and so forth. You go through and you follow it. And you see all of the images from the plagues of Egypt. And you would look at them and you would say, man, these are so similar. Except for one very important fact, okay? I I don't know if you remember this, but the trumpets, back when we looked at the trumpets, the trumpets, let me put it up here. The trumpets use the number one-third, okay? You might remember this. The first trumpet is blown, and the plague is poured out on a third of the earth, and the second trumpet is blown, and the plague is poured out on a third of the oceans, okay? And when we were talking about that in Revelation 8 and 9 and 10, We said, hey, listen, all the numbers in Revelation, they're important. This is a book of imagery. And so this isn't literally a third of the earth. It's not like, is this North America and part of South America? Like, what are the portions of Asia? That's not what's happening. We said the number one-third is a depiction of partiality. So with the trumpets, a portion of God's judgment is being poured out. And when we talked about that, I told you, listen, this is throughout the course of history. God, in part, will judge kingdoms and nations, and we see it in Scripture, right? He judges Babylon, and He judges Egypt, and He judges Rome, and there's a judgment of God that is poured out in the course of history, not complete, not final, but in part, that causes people to move towards repentance. That's what happened with Jonah in Nineveh. Remember that? Jonah was sent to Nineveh, and he was told to give them the message, God's going to destroy the city. And Jonah's like, no, they're not going to believe me. This is silly. And then Jonah eventually went, and the people repented. The message of wrath moved them to repentance. Okay, that was the trumpets. You see the difference between the trumpets and the bowls of wrath? The bowls of wrath are not for a portion of the earth. The bowls of wrath are for the whole earth, and then for the whole sea, and then for all the fresh water, and for all the sky. The picture in Revelation 16 is of the final judgment of God that comes at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is when we got seven bowls, right? What's the number seven mean? You can probably feel the rote repetition now. Well, not rote. You can feel the repetition in the book of Revelation. Seven is the number of complete. So we've got seven complete bowls filled up to the brim of the wrath of God ready to be poured out on all creation. That's at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ returns, he comes to save his people and he comes to bring judgment to the rest of creation. The Bible's clear about that. So that's what's being depicted in the bowls of wrath. And in case you're thinking, well, I don't know, I'm not sure I see that. 
Look at some of the indications again. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. Okay? That's the picture of the final wrath of God to be poured out in the day of judgment. Chapter 16, verse 17. If this doesn't sound like something you should be familiar with, I don't know what will. Chapter 16, verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. Okay, those are the words of finality, the words of being finished, okay, of being complete. This picture of the seven bowls of wrath in chapter 15 and 16, in the course of history, that scroll that God the Father holds, that Jesus Christ is accessing, this is a picture of the final day of judgment when Jesus Christ returns. All right? That's what's being depicted in Revelation 15 and 16. Now, once you have that in mind, it kind of begins to make sense of the rest of this chapter. I find it interesting to think, if you think about those, the events that are happening in this chapter, and then you go back and you look at the song that they're singing in verse 3. Listen to this song. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. You hear what they're worshiping God for? His amazing deeds, His just and true ways, His righteous acts that have been revealed. Taking the whole chapter in context, we realize that the saints in heaven are worshiping God as He pours out His wrath. Look how righteous and true are your ways. Way back at the breaking of the fifth seal, these people were saying, oh God, how long will you wait? How long will you delay? Now at this moment... Though the, the pouring out of his, of his wrath is awesome and fearful, they are saying, how just and true are you, O Lord God. For you do this in your holiness and your righteousness. And because of it, many nations will come to you. They have come to you. The revelation of the wrath of God is designed to move people towards Him. Okay, think about this for a second. We, we just read that God will pour out His wrath on all of creation at the end of time. He will pour it out completely and perfectly. If God, if all He wanted to do was just enact His wrath on a group of people and that was it, then th there'd be no warning, right? God would say, hey, uh, I don't got to tell them what I'm about to do. I'm God. When their iniquity is filled up or when I, my patience has been tested to the limit, I'm just going to pour out my wrath. There will be no warning. There will be no preparation for it. I'm, I'm just going to judge them. Because you know what? Whether we know about it or not, we deserve that judgment. But the revelation of the coming wrath of God is designed to be delivered to a people so they might see what the Lord God is about to do and that they might turn in repentance. Do you realize the book of Revelation, there is more occurrences of the word repentance in Revelation than any other book of the Bible except for the Gospel of Luke. Okay, Gospel of Luke, all about repentance, and then the book of Revelation. Twice it's mentioned in chapter 16. Repentance, repentance. The revelation of God's wrath has produced repentance. And the design then of the revealing of God's wrath is that we might go towards this people with the message of good news, which is what we see in this final point here. 
this cup of wrath consumed by Christ. And this is the message of good news. Honestly, this is, this is all that we need to know if we're to move towards this group of people with a message of hope and salvation, okay? And here's what I want you to know. Here's really the most important point as we look at chapter 15 and 16. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but Jesus Christ also spoke about the cup of wrath. He actually spoke about it more than I was even aware. I went to look and was surprised by how many times Christ speaks about the cup of wrath. Think about this. Just in the last week leading up to Christ's death, think about all of the occurrences, okay? As they enter into Jerusalem, he's speaking about the suffering that he's about to endure, and then he speaks about his throne, and his disciples say, Jesus, where you go, we will go, right? And we're going to go with you, and we're going to reign on our thrones with you, Jesus. Here we go. And what did Jesus say to them? He said, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink, okay? Can you undertake the baptism that I'm about to undertake. He was speaking about the cup of wrath. Can you endure the consuming of the cup of wrath of God? Can you do that? The answer is no, of course not. You fast forward. You go forward two days, all right? Uh, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane as he's preparing to be crucified. You remember what he said? He's there and he wants his disciples to pray with him and they're not praying and, and he's there suffering, uh, anticipating what's about to happen. And what does he say to God as he's praying? He says, God, my Father, take this cup from me, but not my will but yours be done. What, what cup is he talking about? He's talking about the cup of wrath. Filling up of the wrath of God. Take this cup from me. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, God, I know that I'm here to redeem a people. But if it is possible to redeem a people and not to drink the cup of your wrath, please let me do that. But not my will, but yours be done. If it is possible. They go from the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is betrayed. Peter pulls out his sword and he cuts off the soldier's ear. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 Peter. This is not how my kingdom comes. And then what does he say to Peter? For I must drink the cup of my Father. Okay? For I must drink the cup of my Father. Christ is betrayed, tortured, crucified. He's on the cross. Father, my Father, why have you betrayed me? And then what does he say? He says, it is finished. Right? What is, what is finished? It, it, if, you want to get a, uh, if you want to get an idea for the imagery that's being portrayed here, think about your child sitting at the table eating their food. Like, oh, you've got to finish the plate. You've got to finish the plate. And the child finally finishes the plate. They say, it's finished. I ate it all. It's all gone. That's what Jesus speaks about on the cross, okay? Not necessarily the crucifixion of, at the hands of human beings, okay? Not necessarily his suffering. He is saying, it is finished. The cup of the wrath of God has been poured out completely, and I've consumed it to the bottom. It is all gone. For the people of God, that cup has been consumed. Do you realize that's what Jesus Christ is speaking about? Now think about this, okay? All of the time, we misunderstand the crucifixion and then we undervalue exactly what Christ did at the cross. We think, how terrible. How terrible that he was betrayed by human beings. How terrible to have nails through his hands, a spear through his side, and a crown of thorns on his head. Yes, and that was terrible. But it pales in comparison to exactly what was going on on the cross. Okay? Because the suffering of Christ Jesus at the cross was the suffering of the plagues that we just read, right? 
Well, we didn't even read it. Chapter 16 reveals it to us, okay? They got boils on their skin, and their skin melted away, and the scorching heat of the sun burned them up, and the water became blood, and the people all died because of it, and the wrath and condemnation of God was poured out upon them, and no one could bear it. For it was a weight so great that it destroyed every ounce of life in creation. That's the depiction in Revelation chapter 16. That's what Christ Jesus suffered on the cross. And so the, the beautiful message of the gospel is this. We're being sent to a people. Yeah, next week we're going to talk about what it means to come out of them. But for now, we're being sent to a people with a very simple message. You are under the condemnation and wrath of God as we once were. And the condemnation and the wrath of God will one day be poured out completely and you cannot bear it. And you cannot stand under the righteous demands of the law or of a holy God. For you have sinned and rebelled against Him. But there is good news. Right? There is good news. God sent His only Son and He came into the world and He didn't simply submit Himself to other people. He submitted himself to the Father whose cup had been filled out and he said, Father, I will take the cup and I will drink it to the bottom. I will empty it. I will make sure there's not a drop left for the people. For the people who have come by faith to receive the sign of God the Father who have been identified by him who sing his song day and night who have been joined by faith in union with Christ Jesus and now have been saved, not by any works of their own, but because Christ Jesus has done it all. And he took the wrath of God the Father, satisfied the demands of the law, paid the price for sin, and then gifted to us his righteousness. That's the message. So very simple question. Are we moving towards the world with urgency with that message? Are we running towards them? When everybody's running away from them, are we running towards them to say, wrath and condemnation is coming, but Christ has died to take the wrath of God? It's an important question. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, and we thank you for your son, Christ Jesus. We thank you that he was faithful. There's so much we don't understand about the incarnation and his life and especially his crucifixion. We don't understand the weight of the wrath of a holy and righteous God that has been reserved for a plethora, a whole multitude of people. We don't understand the weight of that being poured out on one person our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't understand the price that has been paid. How could we understand it? But I thank you, God, our Father, that you show us something of it this morning in these bowls of wrath. How terrible and awesome and fearful are they. And so, our Lord and our God, we thank you that you have saved us, your people. And I ask, dear Father, that by your Spirit, 
you would make us able and willing to run towards the people of this world and proclaim the good news. For in the face of bad news, it is so beautiful and so good. Help us, Lord God, to have a heart for the lost and a heart for the world because you, our Father, you have a heart. That as you wait patiently, holding back your wrath, which is just and true and right, as you wait patiently for the filling up of sons and daughters, that you have tasked us, your people, to go and proclaim this good news. Make us able and willing. Give us the words to say. Move our hearts for the people of this world for our neighbors, for our community, for our co-workers, for people both near and far, who, Lord, were created in your image, affected by the fall under the condemnation of you, God the Father, and now desperately need to hear this message. We love you. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we ask all of this. Amen.